Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. How are you, Kathy? I'm doing all right. That's good. Me yes. too. I was just getting more and more excited about Monster Palooza. I know. I was looking at the tickets. It's like three days. You can buy a three-day ticket for 80 bucks. Yep. It's Maybe we'll cool. stay in a hotel or something. Well, now that it's a planned convention too, like we did the pop-up last year. I yeah. can only imagine how amazing it's going to be this year. Yeah. And that wasn't Monster Palooza. That was something else. No, you but know. that one will be great too. But this is supposed to be one of the best. I know. I'm really excited because Doug Bradley and Nick Castle and Kane Hodder and Tom Savini. I'm excited because well, we love the monsters. I see you've got Kane sitting near you. Now. Yes. One of my gifts this year, my Christmas gifts, is Kathy gave me Kane Hodder submerged in water, chained to rocks. <laughs> It's like a little table lamp. <laughs> he's so cute in there. He's so cute drowning there with the chains and stuff. It's right before he's about to break out yeah, and no. say, "No, no foos, I ain't dead." No, he mm-hmm. he comes he comes full circle. It's amazing. I think you had a little something you were gonna. Oh, today on the show, let me just say, <laughs> today on the show, as the title suggests. We are on the sixth part of our Ted Bundy reboot, so we'll get to that in the second section of today's show. But first. Bring in a little psych theme today. All right. I've had um, some of our listeners express interest in this, and then I've, I just know people who have talked about it before. I didn't even know this was a thing until I realized I had it. <laughs> that's always interesting. Right? Oh, wait. That's a thing? <laughs> so it's, it's a little thing called synesthesia. Mm. And a lot of people are really intrigued by it, especially if they don't have it. Because it is really bizarre, but it's basically a fancy name for when you experience one of your senses through another. And there's a name for people like us. <laughs> They're called synesthetes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's I'm a like synesthete. I'm a synesthete. Okay. Yeah. I, I almost feel like I'm a cenobite. Can I just call you Cinny? Yeah. Okay. So she's like, yeah, you can. For some people, it could be like when you hear music, you see shapes, or you hear a word or a name, and you instantly see a color. So for me, it's numbers and letters. And when you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example in a second. What's really interesting about those of us who are synesthetes. She's really proud of it. <laughs> well, we remember things because we can clump things together by color. If right, it's so like phone numbers, it helps your memory. It, it really, it does. It's actually, um, they say that most people who have it have a better memory because of it. Right. So I never knew that this was a thing. And I was sitting in my, one of my neuropsych courses in, in my doctoral program and he started talking about it and I'm like looking around at people and I'm going, I, I think I have that. <laughs> and, and I'm looking and I'm thinking but like, you didn't want to be that person in psych school that like diagnoses themselves well, with everything. We well, know. Yeah, and we then I, that. But I also thought like, but I think everyone does that because it oh. was so normal for me. So I raised my hand and I said, I, I think I have this. And he's like, really? Because they say that it ranges from anywhere to occurrence ranges from anything from one in 20,000 to as prevalent as one in 200. So depending on the research. So probably a lot of people like you don't know they have it. <laughs> I had no idea. And I don't know anybody else. I think maybe I've one, met one other person who has it. So he goes, okay, so how does yours come out? And he's, I said, the alphabet and numbers. So I started to go through it for my class. And I was like, A is green, B is brown, C is yellow, D is green, E is red, F is purple, G is orange, H is like a orangish brown i is clear k is blue l is purple m is blue n is brown o is white p is pink okay (laughs) that is amazing isn't that crazy and then i also do it with days of the week so monday's yellow tuesday's green wednesday's like pinkish red Mm -hmm. thursday's brown friday blue saturday so when you think oh i have a thing on monday that color comes to mind i see the word in the color. In the color. And the same with letters. Like if I spell out my name, you're going to see the um, letters with the, or does it? Sort of, yeah. Like your name to me, in my mind, is either red or black. Oh, I yeah. love those colors. Thank you. My friend Kim <laughs> is blue when I picture her. Oh, that's yeah, so Yeah, so that's how I, that, it, that, and I, 
half the time I'm not even conscious of it because no, no, it doesn't so, sound like you're making it, it just, up or anything. It just pops up and then there's a like I see it like months too, right? October's yellow, December's green. Okay. You know, and I can see the word when it comes up. Oh, um, fascinating. It's really weird. So mine mine is known as grapheme or color synesthesia. There's different types. Mm-hmm. And this is the most common one. Most okay. people have this one. And also for some people, the number seven and the number seven spelled out could be two totally different colors. Oh, okay. For me, it just depends. So we have great memories because we can code things like phone numbers, security codes, digits, symbols, and letters take on um, a collection of colors, which is why we're able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to, I mean, some people out listening might be like, I have that. I just wanted to put that out there because- Yeah, it's kind of a cool thing, you know, but kind of one of those fun psych topics. No, that's super cool. And I've heard people talk about it before, but I've never known anybody with it. And I just kind of didn't understand how it would manifest either. So that's actually, I mean, that's just really interesting. It came to my mind because when we were doing the Secret Santas on Discord, Pepper was like, I want some books on synesthesia. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I have that. (laughs) I I I didn't even tell her that, but I'm like, maybe I should talk a little bit about it on the show because it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's really interesting, especially since it it's adaptive for you. In mm-hmm. other words, you use it to your advantage. It's not like yeah. a negative thing, which is cool. Yep. I wanted to mention something. There is someone that I interact with on Discord, not our Discord, but another. Uh, I, I'm a member of some other like bigger horror Discords, and I, I float in there and have conversations occasionally. And there is someone who goes by uh, her writer name is Melody on Medium. And I wanted to throw it out there that they put this article up in that discord and I went and looked at it because I had noticed that they were going and watching every Dolph Lundgren movie ever made (laughs) (laughs) because we sometimes will like post the movies that we're watching. Right. And so I'll post movies I'm watching and then there's, you know, 10 other people that are doing the same thing. And so you kind of see what other people are watching. And I noticed that all her movies, she's like, you know, I think it's she, uh, she goes by Melody, but I'm not sure of the gender identity. So I apologize if that's wrong. But they, they, (laughs) they were like, still on the Dolph Lundgren, you know, (laughs) kind of going through it. And then so what I realized, because then they posted this article, and it's called it's on Medium. And as you know, writers can post their own articles on medium and it's a great way to get your you know your name and and your writing out there so it's called the definitive Dolph Lundgren oh my god film ranking that's hysterical and so here are the qualifications and so I just wanted to give them a shout out go check it out it's by Melody five original criteria for what makes a Dolph Lundgren feature film criteria one oh this is too funny it must be a fictional feature film Criteria two, Dolph must play a major character because, you know, he did a lot of bit roles, right? Mm -hmm. Number three, plot doesn't matter, but a story can't hurt. And number four, points awarded for extreme action. And number five is points awarded for sexy and or shirtless Dolph. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which I completely agree. So it's possible she likes the, the men. Okay. I'm just, you know, yeah, okay. again, I don't know this person, but right. I do interact with them on Discord. So okay. I wanted to just say what the top three are. And then I would love for you to go check out their article about it because there's a whole list of Dolph. Number one, Dark Angel, or I Come in Peace, which is, I think, sci fi that I remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sci fi. Okay. And there's a, you know, there's an alien in it. A scary alien. And then number two, Red Scorpion, which I believe is one of those ones where he might have a shirt off a lot. Not sure. Don't remember. Yeah, I think so. And number three, oh, Men of War. I know he has a shirt off a lot in that one. So those were her top three. And then she talks about each one. And then and she goes through a whole lot. And she does a list of the good ones, <laughs> like top 20 good ones. Then she does the meh. Like meaning the middle of the road, Dolph yeah. Lundgren, and then the bad, and there's a list of the bad. So I just think that's a lot of fun, and I watch them kind of go through and watch a little bit of these movies, and I just wanted to share and give them a shout out because I love, I don't know, I like supporting creative people. That's cool. There it is. That's funny. <laughs> and so next, before we get in the next segment to some Ted Bunny reboot, we are going to do... Melodious. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. I got my pen. Number one. Mm -hmm. 
The city of Keene, New Hampshire, holds the Guinness Book world record for the most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display. <laughs> How many were lit at once? I'm going to give you three choices. Okay. This is a multiple choice. Oh, I like it. A, 3,581. <laughs> yes. B, 30,581. Or C, 581. Love it. That's like two truths and a lie. Yep. <laughs> okay, got it. This is this is this one's a mouthful. Number two. Mm-hmm. What is a rocky buterophobia? Okay. I don't know. What is it, Kathy? I'll let you know at <laughs> the end of the show. Unless you'll probably guess it because sometimes you're like, I don't know, it's this. And I'm like, yeah. It is. <laughs> <clears throat> it's possible. Number three. Vampires are often depicted playing the pipe organ. Other than their love for <laughs> you boxed said that so suggestively. <laughs> other than their love Play my pipe organ, would you? <laughs> Go ahead. Other than their love for box staccata and fugue in D minor. Seriously. How else does the pipe organ serve them? <laughs> Not sexually. I just now we're there. Okay. Number four. How does it serve them? <laughs> Go ahead. What is the bloodiest movie ever made? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And the last one. How long was Robert Picardo in makeup for The Howling? Oh, we'll find out. So what's yes, going to happen we... now is we are going to take a moment, a moment to prepare ourselves for Ted Bundy reboot number six. Today we're going to be getting into his captures and escapes because if you didn't know ted bunny escaped a couple times he was kind of good at that and others really just undervalued his ability to walk out the door uh and then also it'll get into the Kaya omega killings most likely if we get that far so we've got a, a big chunk to do of the ted bunny reboot today it's our sixth in a series so go search out the other ones but each one is kind of standalone but if you like to do the chronology of the story Go back and catch the first five, and we will be right back. Let's do this thing. Ted Bunny reboot part six. Again, we're going to start with this first part, which is about Bundy's as captures, arrests and escapes, basically. So uh, we will interrupt if we feel like there's something we want to add to it from nowadays, or if we don't agree with ourselves or something, <laughs> or there's something we want to, we realize we missed and we are going to say, but this is more chronology and sort of what happened. So we may or may not interrupt, but if we do, you'll hear it because the sound quality is very different. So you'll, you'll know what's present day and what's, what's the reboot, but. You ready, Kathy? Ready. All right, let's go. Okay, we're back. I have to just quickly say the part about his mother saying he was a normal boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's amusing. He was not a normal boy, right? Far from like, it. It's so far from it. And so that makes me flash to all of the times when we're watching television and you know, the families or neighbors say, Oh, he seems so normal. I think now that's not true there's they didn't even that you know we don't know each other like how do you how, how well do your neighbors know you right so it's always i think it's just a con <laughs> it's, no, yes. it's nothing but normal that there was no normal going on here so that's right say that i i thought about what you said and i was like normal boy what the hell i mean talk about uh detached from reality and yeah. and i think mo the mom had a lot of probably guilt too from oh for sure knowing what she had put him through in his life but you know and then there's that mother's love right of like i, I that's not my child right and she wasn't the healthiest spitting in health either so i get yeah. it. it just struck me right <laughs> presented but anything but normal yeah right all right anyway go back to what you were saying <laughs> so we had just sort of ended on the fact that carol durant was the smoking gun in this case 
he's he's tried, he's found guilty, he's sentenced to serve up to in state oh prison, which means it can be anything between yeah. zero and 15 yeah, years, one in 15 and years, six minutes. months. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, you know, I don't know if this is a product of its time and sentencing was different or if, and this is what I'm going to get into now, he was so flipping charming and mm. so good at presenting normal that I think that even the judge had a hard time believing in his guilt, at least at this point. At the end, we're, we're talking about something else. But so prison, the prison psychologist at the time, Dr. Al Carlisle, he worked with him and his purpose in working with him was to determine whether or not there was a violent streak, which I think is really comical because yeah. I think it's pretty obvious. But, you know, well, this is they didn't during know evaluation. They, they didn't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but he would charm the hell out of his psychologist. But thankfully, the psychologist was, you know, a prison psychologist. So he knew better. But he would say things like, Al, do you, do you really think I killed those women? And so the psychologist would absolutely believed that he was capable uh, yeah. and, and addicted to killing people. He, I think this, Al Car- Carlisle was one of the only people that Ted could not pull the wool over. So as this is happening now, more evidence is coming up. As he's in prison, there's more evidence coming up due to a gas receipt and a one strand of hair. Mm-hmm. So now they look at this and he while he's in prison, he's found guilty of the murder of Karen Candle, whose dead body was found outside a ski resort in 1975. So now they're starting to connect him to some of these missing these cold cases. I see. So he's now transferred from Utah to Aspen, Colorado in 1977. They transfer him. Mm-hmm. So very charming guy. Very unassuming. I can't say that enough. He doesn't present at all like a quote unquote prisoner, whatever that means. You know, he's not resistant. He's not trying to piss anybody off. So what he, so what he's done, and I've worked with guys like this where uh, you, you're borderline trusting them at their word. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he starts to con authority into really trusting him. Yeah. So he figures out how to bypass the prison rules And he's oftentimes left alone, which is totally against the etiquette and rules of prison. Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, we have to, we have to remember, what is it, 1976 or something? 77. Mm -hmm. 77. And I guess just consider that culturally we don't have the media that we had then. There's no cell phones. Television is a handful of channels. So we're not constantly learning about how you know, every serial killer in every criminal case like we do now, there's no, there isn't even procedural television, you know, it's very, very light procedural television, you know, there's no mm-hmm. law and order, there's no, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we're not seeing documentary after documentary on serial killers. So it's, they're not learning that, that this particular profile is almost always charming and That's well-groomed right. and good looking and all of that. They don't know any of that yet, I assume. Um, I agree. Yeah. I, I think that he, they were like, this is either a mistake that this guy got, or he's learned his lesson and he's really trying to be compliant. Yeah. So he, uh, so he's left alone a lot. So during a recess in court, he takes off and goes into the law library. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine he's not cuffed. He's not followed. He doesn't have an escort. He's goes into the law library. He jumps out a second story window and he escapes with an, nothing but an injured ankle what and he, rinky dink places this <laughs> that's what i'm saying like how does this happen yeah. so he makes it out to a hunting cabin by he steals a car so he makes it out to a hunting cabin but his ankle causes him to drive erratically i, I just want to make a quick comment here yeah we can talk about how you know quote-unquote brilliant bundy must have been i i don't i don't really think it was that so much as I don't feel sorry for this court or this prison because how flipping dumb can you be? I know, I know. I mean, he got that far and then they're like, oh, he's gone and he's already at a cabin. Yeah, I mean, the flagrant uh, incompetence was pretty. They didn't even have anybody sit like standing outside of the library to see if he didn't take himself out. No, they con. he conned them. He conned them into total submission. Long con. Like he'd know, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm a good guy. I didn't do the, you know, like whatever that long con was. And they completely believed he would, he was 
institutionalized and would stay. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, they. He, yes. It, like, I just don't understand how that happens. We know psychologically how that happens. We've all had people that we've trusted for a long time, and then they're not trustworthy. Right. We've all been the, in that mindset. We weren't in the criminal justice system necessarily mm-hmm. when we believed that. But so I understand how we we end up trusting people. But I think my point is valid in there about how, like, we just weren't that as suspicious as no. we are now. No, and I think that there was a level of ego that they, like you said, that they had institutionalized him enough that, you know, jokes on them. Yeah, their own narcissism. Yes. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Like, oh, I mean, look at how he's only cooperative and compliant because we've we're so strong and mighty and masculine. Yeah, we've been able to <laughs> groom that, and now and this guy's like, yeah, 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 huh? Fuck you. Watch what I'm about to do. Oh yeah, played you their played game. the subservient thing for so long, and that is that is narcissism one hundred and one. He just knew how to manipulate. That's sociopathic, really. That's he, like, yes, I broke could, him down. I, I'm going to give them give them what they want until I see my opportunity. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys, we just always have to be on the lookout. <laughs> oh, more. guys, oh shit! All right, here we go. <laughs> so after six days, he's pulled over for driving erratically, and he's he's arrested. Mm-hmm. From what they know, there's no recorded kills within those six days. I think at this point, he's like, "Shit, I gotta go." I don't right. think I think I don't think he was looking at at doing anything other than getting away. You know, he was just in pure survival mode, outwardly normal person with an underlying disregard for any form of life, but just out. He's like, "I gotta go." So they arrest him. <laughs> this is just, I mean, like How long was he out? He was just out for a few days or he was out for six days. Okay. Okay. Now you think they'd learn their lesson. <laughs> so they place him in a cell where he supposedly cannot escape because he's labeled as a flight risk. Yeah. Go oh, figure. It's okay? about time. <laughs> but, there, but there's a, there's a light fixture in the ceiling that needs fixing, but nobody, nobody could really fit in that light fixture. Right. right. So what does he do? He begins to lose weight. So one evening, other prisoners hear him walking over their cells. <laughs> so he's going back and forth, finding the way out. The prison guards knew this, but didn't fix it. Hmm. So he eventually escapes again, just after Christmas in 1977 and he goes to a jail employee apartment and changes into civilian clothing mm-hmm. and takes off to Florida. You know, it just strikes me that I don't think it's necessarily incompetence on the part yes, of I do. the jailers or the guards. I, 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 it strikes me that they had this, this sense of narcissism as well. Like oh, that, there we go. <laughs> that, that couldn't happen. Absolutely. That, that it Absolutely. Happen, That's funny. Know? We're just... There's just like a disbelief <laughs> that anybody would just out be out we just revised ourselves but then we revised ourselves back then too there you go. all right here we go <laughs> do them smart and leave i mean i don't know mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah, the sure. way it's being characterized it just seems it seems like that like like any of the prisoners if they thought for a minute could have done that but they're not no it's a, it's a really good point you know because the guards and sort of side note and i don't want to get into this but if anyone it, it wants to look up the stanford prison experiment it's a great thing to to study how you know guards once they're in that role really believe they're limitless and i think that this that's a really good point is i think like you said these guards really didn't believe that he could outsmart them yeah because listening to the story you could think my god what my first thought was this these incompetent people and then i'm thinking well no what i also know about people who are imprisoned is in sometimes it's a fantasy that there's a prison right like a like a dog won't jump over a fence because that's right the, uh, the fence is the end of the yard even that's if right good and so they were they just figured well it's the jail why would why would he leave leave <laughs> yeah despite the fact that he had jumped out of a window at, but that was court yeah, you know that was different right yep for sure so so he s- escapes again he travels to florida because nobody's looking for him apparently he settles into the university district in Tallahassee. And here's the thing. If this prison that he just escaped would have prevented this, then it, I believe everything would have stopped here. But hmm. now he's escaped. Now he knows he's far from being caught again. And his taste for murder comes back up. 
And what we are about to get into in this next section is probably the most gruesome and grisliest part of his murder spree. <sighs> it's fun for me as well, because I can't, you guys probably can't hear it, but there was one cat meow of <laughs> Kathy's cat that I didn't cut out. Oh, I didn't hear it. Yeah, uh, because it's just like a little in Gertie's the background. And the only reason why I know it's that is because back then I know where you were living and I know I know which animals you had and everything and I had to I cut out a bunch of them. And so I know That's that funny. that one That's I pretty- didn't want to cut that one because it was like overlapping with something that you said, but usually she was like in between <laughs> so I could cut them out. And then there's one part where there's like and I remember where you were living then too and you must have had the window open or something because there was like Mack truck go by in the back. Oh my gosh. So for me you guys can't you don't you guys don't hear that stuff but for me it's like this little i don't know a little microcosm of like where you were living at the time i know where i was sitting too in my living yeah Yeah. i can imagine where you're sitting i liked that apartment yeah you know yeah this this whole segment and um bundy's escape and all of that yeah i just think it it's just we've talked about so many sociopaths since bundy that just share those common characteristics like you were talking about, just using their charm, using their manipulation, waiting for that open door to then, you know, act on what they need. So they're using people around them. They're exploiting them. They're manipulating them because they're just waiting for that, that proverbial literally with him open door to escape or get what they want. Yeah, the more sociopathic ones, the ones that have those people skills to manipulate, Mm -hmm. they definitely have that commonality. This next section that I'm going to play, there's one point in which we talk about how we're really, because this was the first series that we did. And so I say something along the lines of like, we're really going to get into these other serial killers and see like how different they all are. And, And I think, and I say that, which you'll hear me say, but I also think that there's all these commonalities that when we when we lined them up all together, there were commonalities and there are certain themes that we talk about over and over again, but each one had a unique story and a unique way they got to how they were. You know, setting aside the organicity of their pathology, they each had a nurture or lack thereof that was unique and stories. And, you know, you can't, you don't compare a Ted Bundy to a Richard Ramirez. They're very different. Like there's just a very different psychology going on there. They end up doing similar things, but the way they play it out or the way it happens happens very differently. And I think that's explicated in each time we do a series. So I'm glad we're going back to this Bundy stuff and kind of rebooting it and giving it a little bit of new life. So You want to go on to the next section? Yeah. Let's play this next section. So this is going to get, well, you'll see where we go. (laughs) Here we go. In January of 1978, he's now, he's now left for Florida. He's in Tallahassee and he goes to Florida State University and once again, sort of mimics this student role, tries on a new mask. January 15th, 1978, Bundy becomes responsible and known for what were identified as the Chai Omega murders, which was a sorority. So he'd been staying in Tallahassee, Florida for about a week after escaping from jail. For the second time. For the second time. Mm -hmm. He stayed in a boarding house and lived off money from purses he stole. I mean, just wow. Wow. Very (laughs) very smart, very resourceful. Resourceful, right? Survivalist, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, January, it's very cold, really early hours in the morning on January 15th. He breaks into the Chai Omega sorority house through a back door that had a faulty lock locking system. Mm -hmm. So before sort of to lead up to why he chose this was he had gone out that evening to a a new club. I think it was called like Sherrod's or Sherrod's or something um, that was a, a new club right near Chai Omega. It's un- unknown whether or not he actually encountered any of the women he murdered that night, but there were many sorority victims there. I mean, many sorority um, members there that night, sisters there that night. The victims, right? Yeah, potential <laughs> victims. So witnesses sort of described him as off-putting. He was in the bar. He was scanning all of the girls, making weird eye contact, trying to get 
certain women to dance with him. So just we, like a kind of how we described him back in his teenagers, very awkward and yeah. kind of creepy. I think he ran into uh, one witness who he had asked what sorority she belonged to and, and she was not Chai Omega. And I believe he quoted, you're very lucky. He had said something like that. So he had, this was definitely premeditated. Gotcha. So he goes inside. He now fast forwarding back to the house. So after the club, he goes inside through the back door. He beats and strangles two women to death, severely beats two other women who managed to survive. And he does night, right? Like he's it's all it's all people. Okay. It's all in less than an hour. Wow. He does this. Okay. So there's I'm gonna quickly go through the victims and the way he managed to kill them because i think it again speaks to his revenge killings his hate towards women his sexual deviance i mean this these were the murders that really painted how just fucking corrupt this man was so yeah i get the sense that he i mean i'm just making this up but that he knew it was his last hurrah and possibly yeah he was and he was also in a frenzy. It sounds mm-hmm. like he was in a frenzy. But. Well, he'd been locked up for a little while, so he, he nice. had some time to make up, right? Right. Uh, making up for lost time. So he, so the first victim, 21 years old, Margaret Bowman. She was a history major at FSU. Just after midnight, she was saying goodnight to the other sisters in the house. She gets ready for bed. A few short hours later, he creeps into her room, beats her with a piece of firewood, and then uses a piece of nylon to strangle her to death. Like, how does no one hear that, right? <laughs> how does no one hear that? So then, and I, I would imagine it's because she's on the bed and it's hitting the mattress. When you look at the photos from the crime scene, mm-hmm. they're all bludgeoned, like, in their bed. So mm-hmm. that, that takes the impact, I would imagine. Okay. To a certain extent. I'm sure they heard disruptions and stuff. Yeah, but you Screaming, know. I mean, okay. Right? Right. So, and I don't even think she screamed. I think he probably came up from behind and knocked her out. Her in the head, yeah. yeah, that's right. Because he doesn't want anybody conscious anyway. That's right. So after just after midnight, so this happens to Margaret. So then 20-year-old Lisa Levy, she'd been working all day, looking forward to going to bed early. She had gone to a club after work with her friends. It didn't specify whether or not this was the same club. She's tired. She comes home by about 1030. She's sound asleep. He enters, Bundy enters her bedroom. She's beaten to death, but the brutality doesn't end there. So now he's killed. Well, sorry. So he then strangles her. This is really important, actually, to his uh, trial. He strangles her and tries to bite one of her nipples off. Yeah. He bites so deeply into her buttocks, leaving teeth impressions. Yeah, that would be important. That would be important. Mm-hmm. So then he, he sexually assaults her using a hair mist bottle. Mm-hmm. She's left to die. So now we have the two that died, and now we have the survivors, which at this point I'm like, I don't know. Were they lucky to survive? I don't know. Yeah. So we have uh, 20-year-old Kathy Kleiner. She had gotten home around midnight from a wedding. She had attended with her fiancé. She was also sleeping when Bundy came into her room. He beat her so bad, he broke her jaw in three separate places, smashing several teeth. Although she sustained these lifelong injuries to her mouth, she did survive, but obviously never went back to Florida State University. She took left, but she um, had, I think, the rest of her life, lots of issues with her jaw, with her mouth. And then there... Yeah. Okay, here's what I don't understand about the Chi Omega stuff. Yeah. And it's sort of, I mean, you allude to this when we're talking about like nobody hearing anything or nobody sensing anything. What's bizarre to me too is Kathy walks in after some of these girls have already been bludgeoned. I, wouldn't you have sensed, like we, just our human sensibility that you walk, and maybe she'd been drinking, I don't know. But I feel like if I would have walked into that energy, I would have felt like something doesn't feel right in here. Very often that is what happens. <laughs> and I would have turned around and walked out. So the fact that she... Got in. I mean, it's something straight out of a horror film. Got in, disrobed, maybe her washed thing. your face, brushed your teeth, went to bed as there's like blood and guts and shit all over Kyle Mega, and she just goes to bed. Yeah. And they shared rooms and things. So the fact that he was able to stay in there for that long and get through, and I know it was like a quick... I say quick because he did do a lot in an hour, and then I he mean, goes down the street very and does fast. more. Yeah. But... 
wouldn't you have smelled blood? I mean, blood's very potent. It is so hard to believe not having been in that situation, how that can happen. And that's so often the case with these things is that I think what the general public does, right, is when we hear these stories is we go, what? How's that possible? Yeah. Like, what you The energetic, the energy of all of that is so palpable, I imagine. But I'm also very aware of youth yeah, and I'm aware of how, like the egocentricity. Many, yes, mm-hmm. and how many people cannot feel attuned. That's right to their surroundings, and they don't somatize emotion, and they don't attune yep. to energy or what they feel or what they understand, and they just they may have sensed it or felt it, but you just set it aside because it's not what anything. Well, you if have, there's alcohol mixed too, that too, or drugs or whatever, we mm-hmm. don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to say she was, you know, drunk or or pathologize her in that way either. But it's just like I, I can see how. I just know a lot of people who wouldn't pick up on stuff like that. I guess. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, it's I, so hard to believe though. It is hard to believe, and I do. I, I get all of that. I just it surprises me when like pure survival though that that wouldn't kick in no i think you're you're i think you're absolutely saying something that anyone listening to this is thinking like how this really it's the same with the cops like how did they let him out like really he has a he he's done this before like how do you leave him alone yeah it's pretty ridiculous (laughs) like what had to throw that in there no 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 absolutely here we go there was a 21 year old karen chandler she was with her family that day she returns to the sorority house by midnight he enters chandler's room beats her several times with a log and then uh, knocks out some of her teeth, but she survives the attack. And right. A I, log? Mean, I mean, is this guy like the, like the bounty man? Like why does he, is he, is he like a, what do you mean? Wearing a, like, no, what's the, what are they called? The, the guy in the bounty paper towel rolls. What are they oh, called? Oh, 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 like he's really strong and he's not. No, they, the woodsman where oh, they like, what are they? A log. Like, That's what I'm like. A log. I guess he, you know, but here's the thing. I do maintain he was obviously in a frenzy to do all of that in an hour, two hours. He knew he was going to, he was like out for this amount of time and I got to get it done in this amount of time. I guess. And so he was just grabbing anything that was around. I'm assuming they had a fireplace or something. I don't know. A log. He just kept using wood and logs like he was some. It's very primitive. It is. So primitive. Where's the poker? Like the fire. Now we're getting black Christmas. All right, here we go. Then he actually leaves the child mega house at this point, right? Like he hasn't done enough damage, but now he's on a rampage. So that was, that was a lot of information. And so he, two of the women survived that attack? Two of the women survived, two of the women died. Yeah, okay. so two so were the, murdered and then two were found, obviously, in critical condition. And he's, still, and he's still just in the Chi Omega house, right? And then he leaves. He leaves Chi Omega after these four these yeah these four and women this happened over maybe the span of a couple of hours right? less than an hour oh my god less than an hour i mean he was okay. he was in and out yeah so then he leaves chi omega he continues he's he's now just on a rampage so he breaks into an apartment of a woman who's living on campus 21 year old dance student by the name of cheryl thomas he okay. breaks her jaw damages several nerves causing her hearing loss and balance issues she lives Obviously could no longer become a professional dancer because of the balance and the hearing, but she did survive the attack. So it was like it wasn't enough after those four. He still had to do much more. And then he leaves. And he somehow manages to avoid the arrest after the Kyle Mega House, despite his record of all these escapes, burglaries, and suspicions. Huh. Again, it's like he's escaped prison. He's been all over the country. His, yeah. the profile of these murders matches his, but he still manages to just not be under the radar. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know either. It'd be interesting to know how he, how he eluded all of this destruction, you know? I mean, I can only imagine that, I mean, here's a time where we don't have online media and news. Things are not spread as fast. I think if this were now, this guy would be definitely be on the radar much quicker. Well, he- he would have been captured on 55 people's iPhone the first time they That's <laughs> true. That's went on the beach with a broken arm. Someone would have had him on a video for sure. 
which which is i guess a statement and why things you know how it can be helpful these days to have this invasion of technology but so then sort of leading up to his last hurrah he runs into as he leaves he he steals a white van of course he does and he runs into this 14 year old girl by the name of leslie ann parmenter or parmenter so she starts striking up a conversation with him outside of her school on February 8th, 1978. And so she later identifies him as Ted Bundy. Her older brother dries up and challenges the man, like leave my sister alone, causing him to Bundy to flee. And he prob- he saved his sister's life. So again, remember, he's not satisfied when he doesn't get his kill. Right. So he is now seeking out whatever he can find. Now he's completely even out of his age range and profile. So he's finally apprehended almost three weeks after the attacks at Chi Omega F- FSU. And on 1978, I'm sorry, on February 9th, 1978, before he's apprehended, he kidnaps a murdered and murders a 12 year old girl by the name of Kimberly Leach. This was a really important case because she was 12. So outside of what he had been doing, so unexpected, her body comes up, they pull him over, I think like five days later, and he's finally arrested. He was so out of control, it didn't even matter that he that sh- this little girl didn't even fit the mold of what he normally desired. No, I think that was a murder of convenience. He was just, he, I really feel like at this point he knew he was on his, he either knew he was coming to the end of his run or he was in such a psychological frenzy that it was just whatever was convenient. It's like he couldn't, he couldn't fit his profile and he, you know, he couldn't choose his victims as carefully as he had in the past because he just was out of his mind. He was completely out of his mind. And I think it was a, a combination of both of those things you said. And so again, because he doesn't learn from consequence, he's pulled over only because of the damn stolen car. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. pulled over the officer did not know Bundy was on the FBI's most wanted list. Right. So he takes him to the police station. Obviously they figure out who he is, but his last remark noted is I wish you would have just killed me back there. And I think at this point he knew he was done. I don't know at what point he realized it or what, what was inside of his head at this point, but yeah, he knew he was done. And, and, all, and it's interesting because I don't know if that was a fleeting thought or, a, or a, a thought that stayed because I know that sometimes this type of personality wants to brag Mm -hmm. and be infamous for what they've done and they have some reason for it but i don't i don't get that from from what you've said or Mm -hmm. i don't know if he bragged or spoke about everything afterwards or if he was actually just sitting in shame there for a while i i think i don't think he ever really bragged i mean he even minimized the amount of people that he he actually killed i i think this goes back to the original theory which is these were revenge killings for him. These were a product of how injured and damaged and not to, not to justify, to be clear, not to justify. But I think, I think that when we talk about nature and nurture and the product of environment and going back to the first episode and attachment, he, he had found out at the same time, he was not who he was told he was. And the woman of his dreams had completely annihilated him and, and injured him. And so he, this triggered that, thing that was already there and i think that for for five years he was literally just on a rampage and he didn't give a shit yeah and you know we often it just strikes me now too that in the media or in you know movies etc sometimes we glorify how the killers feel while they're killing you know american psycho that kind of thing that they're sort of reveling in it that it's sort of a even silence of the lambs you know that it's an orchestra of murder and that they're enjoying it and it's hedonistic and i don't i don't really get just from what we've described in these two episodes i'm not really getting that that bundy felt that way that it was more of a compulsion and shame driven and that he was trying to get back his his power and all of that stuff it, it just doesn't feel like a celebration of murder with bundy I don't think so either. And and that's where I think context is such an important part. And when we're looking at shootings or serial killers or murder or psychopathy, I think context is so important. And if we don't look at 
the ideology of something, it's really easy to just throw people into a one little box because he's, and we're going to talk about other serial killers. We're going to psychologically profile other people. And you, you, you know, you, everyone will be able to sort of see how different their lives were and how they're not at all the same experiences. And so without context, we can't really diagnose. We can't really just assume based on, you know, these murders or whatever. We have to look at the whole picture. Agreed. And I mean, I think, and I think it's one of the reasons why we've, we are attracted to doing these types of series and looking into this because psychologically we want to see the finer points. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, so next time we're going to be looking at, you know, from this arrest now, preparing for his trial and his final days before his execution. There you go. So that was the end of our second episode those were the last two chunks. And mm. that whole episode, what you might remember from last time, was you taking us through his actual crimes, mm -hmm. obviously. So mm -hmm. the next time we do a reboot, we'll go on to, I don't even remember what episode three was yet. I haven't edited it yet. So I know the first part was childhood and the second part was his crimes. And I assume, oh, trial. We're probably going to go to trial now because his trials were pretty dramatic. Right. They, and yes. And very theatrical. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think we talk about trials and then of course more psychology. So thank you so much for listening to this. We will be right back. We're going to talk about some horror watches next, but thanks so much for coming with us on the Ted Bundy uh, reboot trip. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> What's up? Hey, we're back. Horror movies. And I also have a crime drama and a doc. So I moved it around a little bit. Okay. I feel like, we, you know, we do true crime stuff. So I think crime dramas and true crime docs are solidly in our wheelhouse. Wonderful. <laughs> I finally saw Mare of Easttown. I finally finished How'd it. How'd you feel about it? I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean... I love her. Yeah, it's small, a good series. Small town Pennsylvania detective Mara Sheehan investigates a murder as life crumbles around her. And it so certainly does. So this is, of course, well-reviewed by critics and audiences. It's just a solid, it's a solid watch. Kate Winslet. I took a break a few episodes in. It's, it's not really, for me, it wasn't like a binge because mm -hmm. it's a, got some heavy themes to it. it does. And, and I don't binge heavy themes. I, I think that's partly because just wanting to take a break. My, my work is kind of heavy. Like I hear heavy stories all day long. And so that's probably a piece of it. And also I do think, you know, to know my shadowy sides as well, which I think is important is, you know, I think I do actually indulge in darkness as well. So when something is sort of dark and depressing and, and thick like this can be, I I also think there's a revelry in that. And I think that's part of one of the things we like about crime dramas and true crime and horror and all mm -hmm. of that is that there is a little bit of like soul revelry yeah. with this. So, And I did that with this because it was quality and Kate Winslet's performance is, is excellent and it's a character she doesn't always play. Yeah, she was great in it and her accent was great, all of it. Mm -hmm. She was totally believable. It's It's funny to see her not have a English accent, but... Yeah, um, I, I think it's a really solid... I mean, like, it's a great piece in her career, Yeah, even. Such a strong sense of... Well, and she did the... wasn't even that she just didn't have an English accent. She had a very East Coast... Yeah, accent. her was, accent was yeah, great. it was great. Her performance um, was excellent. Performance yeah. was excellent, and I just like the story. And line. Jean Smart plays her mom. I, I love Jean Smart. And Jean Smart is excellent in this. I mean, she's always been excellent, but she also plays an interesting character. So it's just well-written. I watched a movie that, since you're on that, I watched a movie that's similar in its, I don't know, in the genre. It's a thriller from 2020 called The Silencing. Okay. And it's about 
Alcoholic Rayburn Swanson is the owner of the Gwen Swanson Sanctuary, named after his missing daughter. The sanctuary is an act of penance, both because Gwen disapproved of his trapper lifestyle and because she had disappeared from his car five years earlier when he went into a store to buy whiskey. Rayburn keeps hunters out by using surveillance cameras. So it's sort of a revenge fantasy mm-hmm. in the sense that he pairs up with this sheriff, this female sheriff in town. And while they, while she examines the body of a younger girl found by the lake, Rayburn starts to put together that this might have been the guy that took his daughter. Okay. And so it, it I actually, it, the, the reviews are like whatever, but I thought it was a pretty good story. And I felt like I really felt for him and what he was going through and it's, you know, small town. And, um, it's just one of those, like, is she alive? Is she not still alive? And then you start to figure out who it is. And obviously because it's a small town, it's somebody that was very unassuming. And Mm -hmm. so it all kind of links together, Mm -hmm. but the suspense of it and the characters, I cared about him and I cared about him finding what happened to her. That's the thing about reviews, right? That's kind of why we try to like talk about different parts of the movie because something we like or don't like is maybe not your thing. So it sounds like the things you liked were the small town mystery part of it. I think we both like that hunting for a killer thing and it sounds like that was there but it sounds like all of that was pretty predictable but that the part you really dug is that you actually ended up caring about what happened to them he had you know he had come out of the situation and obviously he was coping with alcohol but then he was also um you know somewhat realistically paranoid and Mm -hmm. and so they they wrote his character i think very realistically nice yeah so i saw the new texas chainsaw massacre how was it 2022 it was Okay, so <laughs> here's what I liked about it. The gore, on point. Like yeah. the the way they did the gore is the reason to watch this movie. If you like practical and, and somewhat enhanced, obviously everything is enhanced these days, even if it looks practical. Gore was great. Like the way the gore was choreographed, like not just the practical effects or the special effects, but the way they choreographed how things were happening with the exception of one of the final kills, which I won't give away, but there's one very important final kill that like was not choreographed particularly well. And the people I watched with it, we all sort of agree that like, Oh, maybe they just couldn't figure out how to do it. Or maybe there was some producer that came in and edited it. And so it looks stupid, but (laughs) so there's just this one piece, but by and large, 90% of it, the gore was great. I think in general, it was not good. Uh, would be my <laughs> so you're in it for the gore that's what i'm saying and that's the reason why I'm, I'm saying a few things one if you are into the texas chainsaw massacre like franchise for lack of a better word then you've watched all of them you're gonna watch it no matter what and that's kind of how i went into it like i'm gonna watch any reboot they do this is the third time they've remade it to to weigh in you know mm-hmm. and so i did that and that was the shining glory of this piece. I mean, some of the characters were funny or fun or whatever, and 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 maybe you're going to care about them or not. It's definitely, they definitely wanted to be Halloween 2018, but I think they failed on several, sev- in several ways, so that they did not rise to that. Sure. One is that they had Sally come back. That's kind of where they. Mm-hmm where they were going towards Halloween 2018, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis coming back to kick ass. So they had that character. Sally definitely was set up like, I'm coming back to kick ass. She's in her Western gear with her, you know, shotgun and being a badass. And what they ended up doing with that character, really a missed opportunity. Like they just, that sucks. Yeah. They couldn't rise to that level and they wasted the opportunity. And I wish they had had some, I don't know. I don't know who messed it up. I don't know if it was the writers, the producers, or whoever, but they did was not well done. I liked the premise. So the premise, Melody, her teenage sister, Lila, and their friends, Dante and Ruth, head to the remote town of Harlow, Texas. So that's another thing I like about it. I like Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I actually have an affinity for Texas, so I like things that are set there. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simplistic, but that part I dug. To, stare, to start an idealistic new business venture, but their dream soon turns into a waking nightmare when they accidentally disrupt the home 
of Leatherface, the deranged serial killer whose blood-soaked legacy continues to haunt the area's residents, including Sally Hardesty, the sole survivor of his infamous 1973 massacre, who's hell-bent on seeker revenge. See, they set it up like it's a Sally thing. They messed that part up. In my opinion, go for the gore, strong, like, bloody horror violence type of thing. Leatherface is definitely there. They give him a very solid reason to go back on a rampage. They kind of tell you a little, like, very simplistically, you get why he hasn't been doing it and why he starts doing it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, like I said, that's all the premise. Kind of like that's what all they, the act one. Kind of like what they did with Rob Zombie's Halloween is they gave us a little bit more about Michael. Yeah, I mean, it, again, not complicated. Really just like one thing, one inciting incident happens and you're like, okay, I buy that. And that's why I say act one, solid premise, okay. people arriving, we're going to have a new generation, yada, yada. And then from there, gore for you. And that's all about, that's it. I watched a movie from 2020 called The Last Matinee. Okay. It's a soaking wet day with rain pouring down, and one of the best things to do is to go seek refuge in an old, great, a great old cinema. There's just one problem: a murderer is on the loose, and he also has taken refuge there. So this is a Spanish film, Spanish language horror film. I liked it because it was made now, took place in the '90s, where. I actually worked in a movie theater in the 90s. So it has a very 90s vibe to it, but it also has a very slasher vibe to it. So it's dark and there's this really just the POV of the killer is totally corny. You don't really know who he is. It's very like film noir and there's like four different storylines going on with like the different characters in the different theaters. The father who owns the theater, he's becoming ill So the daughter takes over having to do all the projection work and she's the one who finally picks up because the dad was too ill to notice that this is going on. So you're in the theater through the whole film and that it's just kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fun ride, solid watch. It's fun and and really good gore at the end. There's a lot of, it's a total slasher film. Would you watch it again? I would. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, the end is the best part because if you want to see the gore and you want to see the slasher stuff, it's really all in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, right, right, right. So you're kind of like cooking and doing other things until that part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I mean, you have to watch it because yeah, it's yeah, subtitled. Yeah, the first time I'm saying. Well, yeah. and it's subtitled, so you have oh, to, right. I mean, unless you speak Spanish fluently. Right. So I did watch it, but the I really watched it because I knew the gore would be good and there's, there's some good gore in there. Cool. And a lot of people are bilingual Spanish these mm-hmm. days, so... Cool. I watched Kimmy, which is a mystery thriller. Came out on HBO Max, 90 minutes. This is one of those ones where the critics liked it and the audience not so much, <laughs> which I always love those kind of divides. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Soderbergh's new okay. movie. So that's why, I got, that's why I got a lot of play. And like Zoe Kravitz is the star of mm-hmm. it. And it's very technologically associated like the future of technology where we're all being listened to (laughs) so an agoraphobic tech worker which is played by zoe discovers recorded evidence of a violent crime but is met with resistance when she tries to report it seeking justice she must now do the thing she fears the most she must leave her apartment so great premise right (laughs) there's a lot of this that I did enjoy. This just isn't a movie I would watch again necessarily. This premise has been done a handful of times too. For sure. Now she works as someone who is agoraphobic. She's an agoraphobia. She has agoraphobia and she works as someone who doesn't leave, have to leave her house. She, she listens back to tapes that are recorded by like, you know, like a Google home only they don't call it that of course in the movie, but in this world, you can say Google record, let's say, and it will record what's happening at your in your home, which is would be super handy if you were getting harmed or something. But they can all what you realize in the movie, of course, is that they are can always tape you and are always taping you. 
which is all what we suspect anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we suspect in our current life right now. Uh, so it plays on those fears. And then there's a point, of course, what are you going to do when you put an agoraphobic in a situation where they are compelled to leave the home? You're going to have that experience, right? So there's those scenes where she has to leave the house. Now, I thought those were handled pretty well by her. She did some funny, interesting, not funny, haha, but like, quirky maybe what an agor how an agoraphobic would like get from one place to another type of stuff but i don't know do you remember sigourney weaver and copycat i do and i loved that i thought she was so great in that role holly hunter and sigourney weaver like i realize that's not a movie that anybody talks about and i'm so glad you bring it up because that was that's a sunday afternoon movie for me like i will throw it on Harry Connick Jr. was awesome in that. He was a solid cast, solid movie, one of my top ones from that. And people forget era. about it. Oh no, of course they yeah. do, they totally do because there are so many other things that all of those actors have done that got mm-hmm. way more famous. Um, but I'm, I'm super. Thank you for mentioning it because yeah. I love that one. This one, not so much. Yeah. Again, like if you like that premise, if you there's reasons to watch the premise. You're just a Soderbergh fan, so you watch everything he does. You're a Zoe fan, so you watch everything she does. It's only 90 minutes. I mean, I'm not going to w- watch it again necessarily. There was some fun. There was some fun action at the end. It's a thriller, so there was a little bit. But for 45 minutes of it, I'm like, where's the thrill? I'm not being thr. I don't feel thrilled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's unfortunate. There's that. <laughs> it, the thrilling happens sort of later, but not really. So. Last one I just wanted to bring up, just have a short conversation with you, is I finally saw Malignant. Oh, good for you. This is a pretty divisive movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think? <laughs> um, you know, I had mixed feelings about it, but overall I liked it. I've talked to people who've liked it. I've talked to, pe- talked to people who thought that it's kind of been like, have you seen Malignant? Like, did you... It, it, it's James Wan doing what he does. Da da da. I uh, I thought the ending was creepy as hell. Not gonna lie. True. Um, I mean, I agree. There were parts of the story that were a little bit like, okay, come on, let's get on with it. And I feel like you know it sure. also could have used a little bit of an edit. But overall, I thought her performance was good. I thought the concept was unique, and it did freak me out. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I'm actually just about to rewatch that movie because it's streaming on HBO again, for those of you who didn't know. And by the time you're listening to this, it's been streaming for a while. I hope it still is. Uh, they put it back out. It wasn't streaming for a while. And then now now it's back streaming. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, audiences, it's really divisive. They either feel sort of betrayed by the twist <laughs> or they really like it. And I'm in the camp of, I don't know, on that day with the people I was watching, I don't know. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I was, I have the ability to not predict. <laughs> so I didn't ruin it for myself. I think that's where we mostly yeah. ruin it. Most movies we ruin for ourselves. Absolutely. As we just, we get our analytical mind going and we figure things out and then it's like, well, I, that's boring. I consciously try to not predict. I do too. Yeah. And sometimes, and I would say I'm, I mean, some people are more successful at that than others. And so I, I understand the issue where you can't stop your mind from going, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? And I happen to be watching with people that weren't doing that. So that's always helpful. You know, we watch a lot of movies in groups and stuff. And sometimes people just go like, oh, I think this is what's going to happen. And that happens in book club too sometimes where it's like, I actually don't want to talk about what I think is going to happen because I don't want the story to be spoiled if I don't know it. So sometimes I will tap out a book club conversations along the way because I really just don't like, I don't want your predictions, you know, people's predictions. But anyway i liked it too yeah. and i'm gonna rewatch it and see how i feel on the second watch because you know once you know what something is mm-hmm. okay how yeah. does it hold up now right and i am generally a james wan fan yeah so that helps i know people some people who don't really like yeah. his stuff mm-hmm. won't really like this right like mm-hmm. if you don't like soderbergh you're definitely not gonna like kimmy you know right because so, he's got a it's him a voice he does a particular which you want in a filmmaker so all right. Well, thanks for that. I yeah. believe we are now to the answer. Oh, answers so of things. I would like to know the answers to the questions. The city of Keene, New Hampshire, holds the Guinness Book World of World Records for the most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display. How many were lit at once? 3,581, 30,581, or 581? 
Mm. A. B, 30,581. I had a feeling it might be like a fuck ton. but I would like to see what that looked like. I bet it, I'm, I'm sure there's photos. I mean, I get overwhelmed in a good way when I go to Disneyland and everything's lit up. At, oh. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> Number two, what is a Rocky beauty rephobia? <laughs> I had to phonetically no, spell no, it No, no, you out. have to say it A now. Rocky buterophobia. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, I mean I have no idea. You definitely cannot say this word if if this is happening to you. <laughs> I don't know. The fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> I would imagine most dogs have this. I, I was going to say dogs don't have it cuz they'll go after yeah. the peanut butter like crazy and then just deal with it. I, my ima- I'm imagining that it ha- probably has a fear fear of choking is probably or not being able to breathe is probably related to that. Okay. Yeah. Number three. I was looking up like the strangest phobias. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You've done that before. You brought like weird phobias. Like really weird shit. It's one of your categories. Like the person who thinks they're a corpse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Vampires are often depicted playing the pipe organ other than their love for Bach, Staccata, and Fugue in D minor. How else does this serve them? Well, We've talked a lot about vampires and vampires as narcissists, right, mm-hmm. over the years. So th- where my brain goes is, okay, like, so what serves a narcissist or what serves a vampire is the way my my deduction went, which okay. is obviously what I try to do these days to try and come to an answer because <laughs> um, I'm horrible trivia, as you know. So my thought process was, like, I don't know what specifically, but, like, they feed on energy, so does the organ give them some kind of energy that they're in need of yeah that's exactly right vampires can draw energy from the pipe organ to help them maintain mortality when they cannot get sufficient supplies of human blood okay so they're after the they're after the immortality feeling and that they get a surge and so that's the energy or something from the interesting Yeah. yeah i never thought about it before but now that i have there you go okay what's the bloodiest movie ever made well, I mean, I want to say Dead Alive. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> also called Brain Dead, the 1992 original held the record until the remake in 2013. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's if you haven't bloody. seen that movie, it's pretty obvious. I mean, yeah. it's also pretty fucked up. Yeah. When he, I mean, it's really very disturbing, honestly. <laughs> but I do like when he straps the lawnmower to his chest. <laughs> He's like, fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. I mean, there's a lot of contenders for that, but... How long was Robert Picardo in makeup for the for the howling? And Robert Picardo is which character? He's the the serial killer, the main. Oh, werewolf. okay, okay. Yeah. So he's the one that does the full body with mm-hmm. the face like pulsing and all of that. Yes. I don't know. I I kind of want to say eight hours, but yeah, ten hours. Yeah. And then they said he was so patient that he was uh, then hired for the movie Legend. Because they're like, this guy if can he do can it. Sit, if he can sit for 10 hours every time he has to shoot. Yeah, and that Legend's a great movie, too. I haven't seen that one in a while. Yep. Thank you so much for that. Yes. I learned things, and I guessed things almost correctly. Yeah, your guesses are starting to... Like- I'm I'm working at it because yeah. it's boring for me to just say, I don't know, yeah, every I know. time. Take a, get you mind, what are you going to lose? So I'm trying to work with you because i suck at trivia so i can't just like guess (laughs) usually although my guesses i guess are getting a little bit better (laughs) and maybe you're giving the questions a little zhuzh so i can do some of that deductive reason she's helping me out ladies and gentlemen and also educating the public (laughs) thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it this has been an episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone 